You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. All right. Well, good morning, church. How are we doing this fine Sunday? Wonderful. It's good to see you guys, brave souls, that ventured out today. I know, amidst all this uh, myths, lore, and legend, it's nice to actually see disciples gather together. Amen? Amen. Well, a couple things before we get into that. Uh, We are starting a new series, which is really exciting. I'm very excited about this. Before I get into that, however, um, I did want to mention, you know, kind of good to have a little family kind of anecdotes and things that happen throughout the weeks and stuff. My son, 8-year-old Darius, had his very first basketball game. Yes, you can clap for that one. That was exciting. This was a 17th month delay. This was supposed to happen in March of 2020. So it finally occurred. And I have two other kids as well, so when you do one with one, you have to make sure that the other have their sports and different stuff going on as well. So that was the first thing they said right after the game, like, Mommy or Daddy, when are we doing my dance? And my three-year-old son, when are we doing football? He didn't say it that exact, but it was like, football, throw, you know, <laughs> something to that effect. But in any case, I'm really excited about this new series. Uh, We're getting into the book of Matthew, um, focusing specifically on God with us, right? And I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the Bible Project. Anybody? Pretty much most of this is a very, uh, our Bible nerd hats are on in this group, you know? Some great academic stuff in there, a scholarly narrative, wonderful material. We're going to use it kind of as the skeleton, you know, the framework, if you will, for these next, uh, this video that we're going to show in a sec will be for the next four weeks. And this will cover chapters 1 through 13. Specifically, I want to focus today on God with us, and that will kind of be the, not only the title for our series, but the title for this sermon as well. Uh, I have to preface it, this video is about eight minutes long, okay? But it's a great video, so take some notes, some wonderful material I think you guys will really enjoy. So that being said, I'll give you Matthew. The Gospel according to Matthew It's one of the earliest official accounts about Jesus of Nazareth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. The book itself is anonymous, but the earliest reliable tradition links it to Matthew the tax collector, who was one of the 12 apostles that Jesus appointed, and he actually appears within the book itself. For about 30 to 40 years, the apostles orally taught and passed on their eyewitness accounts about Jesus, along with his teachings that they had all memorized. And Matthew has then collected and arranged all these into this amazing tapestry and designed the book to highlight certain themes about Jesus. In this video, we're just going to cover the first half of the book. Specifically, Matthew wants to show how Jesus is the continuation and fulfillment of the whole biblical story about God and Israel. That Jesus is the Messiah from the line of David, that he is a new authoritative teacher like Moses, and not only that, Jesus is God with us, or in Hebrew, Emmanuel. And Matthew's designed this book with an introduction and then a conclusion, and these act like a frame around five clear sections right here in the center, each of which concludes with a long block of Jesus' teaching. Now, this design is very intentional, and it's amazing. Just watch how this works. Chapters 1 through 3, they set the stage by attaching Jesus' story right onto the storyline of the Old Testament scriptures. So Matthew opens with a genealogy about Jesus that highlights how he is from the messianic line of the son of David, and he's a son of Abraham. That means he's going to bring God's blessing to all of the nations. After that, we get the famous story about Jesus' birth and how all of the events fulfilled the Old Testament prophetic promises that the nations would come and honor the Messiah, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, but even more than that, 
Jesus' conception by the Holy Spirit, his name Emmanuel, all these work together to show that Jesus is no mere human. He is God with us. God become human. So you can see two of Matthew's key themes right here in the introduction. He's from the line of David. He's Emmanuel. But Matthew also wants to show how Jesus is a new Moses. So like Moses, Jesus came up out of Egypt. He passed through the waters of baptism, and he entered into the wilderness for 40 days. And then Jesus goes up onto a mountain to deliver his new teaching. So through all of this, Matthew is claiming that Jesus is the promised greater than Moses figure who's going to deliver Israel from slavery. He's going to give them new divine teaching. He's going to save them from their sins and bring about a new covenant relationship between God and his people. This Moses and Jesus parallel also explains why Matthew has structured the center of the book the way that he did. These five main parts highlight Jesus as a teacher, and he's created a parallel. Jesus as a teacher parallels the five books of Moses. Jesus is the new authoritative covenant teacher who's going to fulfill the storyline of the Torah. Now, in the first section, chapters 4 to 7, Jesus steps onto the scene announcing the arrival of God's kingdom. And this is really key. The kingdom is, in essence, about God's rescue operation for his whole world. And it's taking place through King Jesus. Jesus has come to confront evil, especially spiritual evil, and its whole legacy of demon oppression and disease and death. Jesus has come to restore God's rule and reign over the whole world, by creating a new family of people who will follow him, obey his teachings, and live under his rule. So, after Jesus begins healing people and forming a movement, a community, he takes his followers out to a mountain or a hillside, and he delivers his first big block of teaching, traditionally called the Sermon on the Mount. And here Jesus explores what it looks like to follow him and live in God's kingdom. And it's an upside-down kingdom where there are no privileged members. So the poor, the nobodies, the wealthy, the religious, everybody is invited and is called to turn, to repent, and to follow Jesus and join his family. Jesus says that he's not here to set aside the commands of the Torah or the Old Testament. Rather, he's here to fulfill all of that through his life, through his teachings. He's here to transform the hearts of his people so that they can truly love God and love their neighbor, including their enemy. After concluding his great teaching on the kingdom, the next section shows Jesus bringing the kingdom into reality in the day-to-day -day lives of people. So Matthew's arranged here nine stories about Jesus bringing the power of God's kingdom into the lives of hurting, broken people. There are three groups of three stories, and they're all about people who are sick or have broken bodies or they're in danger, and Jesus heals or saves them by these acts of grace and power. And then right in between these triads, we find two parallel stories about Jesus' call that people should follow him. Matthew's making a point here. One can only experience the power of Jesus' grace by following him and becoming his disciple. Now, after Matthew has shown the power of the kingdom through Jesus, Jesus then extends his reach by sending out the 12 disciples who are going to go do what he's been doing. And this leads to the second large block of teaching, chapter 10. And here, Jesus teaches his disciples how to announce the kingdom and what to expect once they do. Many among Israel are accepting Jesus and his offer of the kingdom, but Israel's leaders, they 
aren't. They stand to lose a lot if they repent and become disciples of Jesus. And so Jesus knows they're going to reject him and persecute his followers, which is exactly what happens. In the next section, chapters 11 through 13, Matthew has collected a group of stories about how people are responding to Jesus and his message. And it's a mixed bag. So some stories are positive. People love Jesus and they think he's the Messiah. Others are more neutral, like John the Baptist, or even the members of Jesus' own family. And they make it clear that Jesus is not what they expected. And then you have Israel's leaders. They're entirely negative. You have the Pharisees and the Bible scholars. They all reject Jesus together. They think he's a false teacher. He's leading the people astray. They think he's blasphemous and these exalted claims he's making about himself. But Jesus isn't surprised or thrown by all these diverse responses. In fact, he focuses on it in the third block of teaching, chapter 13. Here, Matthew's collected together a bunch of Jesus' parables about the kingdom, like about a farmer throwing seed on four types of soil, or about a mustard seed, or a pearl, or buried treasure. These parables are like a commentary on the stories that you've just read in chapters 11 and 12. Some people are accepting Jesus with enthusiasm. Others are rejecting him. But God's kingdom is of ultimate value and it will not stop spreading despite all of these obstacles. So that's the first half of the gospel according to Matthew. Now here's a few more things to look for as you read through these chapters. Matthew's presenting Jesus, remember, as the continuation and fulfillment of the Old Testament storyline. So look for how he weaves in quotations from the Old Testament scriptures. And what you'll find is that they're placed at strategic points in the story, explaining more about Jesus and his identity. So stop. Take time to go look up these references and read them in their Old Testament context. And most often you'll discover really cool, interesting connections. Lastly, Pay attention to the types of people who accept Jesus and follow him. And you'll see that it's most often people who are unimportant, they're nobodies, or they're irreligious. And these are the people who are transformed by their trust or faith in Jesus and follow him. And it's the religious and the prideful who are offended by him. So how is this tension between Jesus and Israel's leaders going to play itself out? That's what the second half of Matthew is all about. Great stuff, right? I, I love those. You can get lost in um, some Bible projects for hours if you like. Um, sets a great framework for what we're discussing today. Um, make sure we get past that. Sorry. There we go. So point number one in, in this God with this story is this interesting line, right? And so you're going to notice um, all the different little tidbits that we mentioned, the, the certain themes, um, whether it's just kind of this kingdom that's upside down, God ushering in something that's brand new. And like different points I want to mention, um, make sure I get this one, some fun facts. Uh, just as we get into this, uh, this material, they mentioned the, the notion of 30 to 4 years of oral tradition, you know, prior to Matthew's writing. So there's this gap of, uh, you know, apostles and, and disciples of Jesus Christ memorizing Jesus' teachings. Um, there was likely a Q source, you know, so from a scholarly standpoint, there's this notion that, you know, Matthew and Mark are so similar, right? You, you can literally find quotations that are like, like word for word. So... In likelihood, they probably pulled, whether it's oral or written, some kind of source, some extra-biblical source to, you know, bring that together. But it's great, even though they're similar, to separate, right? Because Matthew is his own author. And it, and it kind of mentions some things in here, that it's a Jewish author teaching Jewish audience about a Jewish Messiah. And so Matthew has his own viewpoint, right? He was a tax collector by trade. Was a tax collector doing well in the community at that time? Financially, yes. But in terms of connectivity with the people, absolutely not. 
very much an outlier, very much an outsider. And you're going to see kind of this tinge, this, this narrative, if you will, with Matthew of the outsider perspective throughout the whole gospel. Connecting Jesus to the Old Testament is very key. You're going to see a lot of um, you know, Old Testament references as well. And I want to start with, uh, with the lineage in, in Matthew 1. We're going to read, I'm not going to read all this. I don't know how you respond when you see lineages in the Bible. Usually I get like through the first line and then I'm like, you know what, uh, I'm done. There's, there's about 100 names. Does anybody uh, actually read Hebrew in here? Maybe one? So I, I'm not going to butcher that for you guys. But there is some important things to highlight that I think do stress the themes that we're going to find out through this entire book of Matthew. Verse 3 says, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Let's take a mental note of that. Verse 5, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Interesting. Continue on, verse 6, second part. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Continuing on, I think there's one more. And so we'll skip that part. It does mention Mary at the end as well. So what's the purpose of this lineage? Why is Matthew going to the, uh, you know, the extent to cover from Abraham to David all the way down to Jesus? One reason, of course, is to prove the fact that Jesus is this Messiah that was prophesied to come, right? But it's interesting when you think about that outsider perspective, the idea of kind of flipping this kingdom on its head. He includes these little tidbits that he mentions women, right? Why are you mentioning women in a patriarchal society? What would be the reason for that? And he mentions very interesting situations. For example, does anybody know about Judah and Tamar? That's a, that's a kind of a dark story. You know, uh, uh, Judah was Tamar's father-in-law. And he thought that she was a shrine prostitute. And at that time, she was widowed and slept with her. And they had twins. Rahab was a prostitute. Um, and if you're trying to prove your Jewishness through your Jewish line, through, your, you know, through this, this heritage, if you will, uh, she's not Jewish. What is she? She's a Canaanite. Uh, Ruth, they mention her, which is a great story, right? But she's also a Moabite. So you get this notion that you can kind of see through these scriptures. Do I get some feedback? I'm all trying to move away. We good? Okay. So you start seeing kind of right off the bat that there's this outsider mentality that, that's going to happen through these scriptures. Interesting engagement. That feedback's killing me right now. Where do I go? Okay, don't touch the cord? Okay. Thank you. Round of applause for that one. I couldn't do the rest of the sermon with that. I'm not going to have that in the background. I appreciate your wisdom. Um, so we're going to continue on. And trust me, we'll also crescendo in a second. So interesting engagement. We're going to talk about the birth of Jesus. Now, normally we talk about the birth of Jesus in December. And I really wanted to get Christmas in July reference. It's August 1st. Amen. You know, I was, I was so close. All right, so interesting engagement. We'll go right here. I'll be read a little bit about this. In verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, he, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after she had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save people from their sins. And then there's a, a mention that you talked about in the, in the story, uh, initially in that video. You're going to hear a lot of scriptures, right, that are backing up that Jesus is this Jewish Messiah. So you see that in verse 23. 
Sure. Time out. Is that? Is that loose? Good? Wait, 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 wait. Here's a test. Good, good. Hey, man, we can clap that up. I'm excited. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, you just need a quick hiatus. Hopefully that was a wonderful fellowship break. Okay, so let's continue, all right? So I think we mentioned verse 24, or we're getting into verse 24. Joseph, you know, Jesus' story, it's, it's not Christmas, but it is Christmas today at least. Um, you see this kingdom kind of coming in, right? This upside-down type kingdom. Joseph is referring to following, and, and basically following God through what, dreams, right? He was going to divorce Mary, but then he has a dream, right? He says, don't do it. Um, they go to Egypt based off of a dream. They end up coming back, and they go to a specific place in, in Galilee because of a dream. But a lot of this, with this backdrop is you could see false weaknesses. So essentially, he, you know, he married someone that, for all intents and purposes, if the gossip got out, this would be great TMZ towns type stuff. You know what I mean? Mary was pregnant, and it wasn't Joseph's. And then he married her anyway. Like, you know what I mean? There's, there's a lot of weakness in that. You look through the lineage that we just mentioned with, with Tamar or, and even mention of kind of women in patriarchal society. There's, there's quote, unquote, weakness in that. Do we allow God, and this is kind of the point for the first one, looking at this stuff. Do we allow God to glorify himself through our weakness and faults? If God is willing to basically proclaim the line of Jesus, warts and all, to the entire universe, are we willing to have a conversation with the person next to us about where we're really at, about our vulnerabilities? You know, coming to church, it's easy to put our best foot forward, right? And that's what we like to do. But when you see with God, God doesn't do that. He grabs imperfect people in seemingly horrific and difficult situations, and he glorifies himself. True glory of God comes when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable. When we open up, we, we grab the false front, and we put it in the trash, and we, and we say Kobe or Jordan, and put it away, and we allow ourselves to say, you know what, this is where I'm really at. This is what I'm really going through. And then see what God does, because his power is made perfect in weakness. It's a new kingdom. Continuing on, this is point number two, following God's narrative. And this is a, uh, kind of getting more, again, to the, uh, to the uh, story of birth of Christ. Verse two, uh, for, I'm sorry, chapter two, verse one. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is, sorry, that went forward, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he's the current king of the Judeans, uh, you know, it's, it's a kind of, it's a nation state at the time, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him because they're talking about this new king. So where's this king coming from? 
Oh. Just let Allie control it. Oh, okay. Okay. We are learning today. <laughs> when it rains, it pours. Amen. Let me get a drink real quick. There, there's something that God's doing today. I don't know what it is, but it's special. See, God is working through my weakness at this point. Amen. So you're gonna, something's going to resonate with you tonight, or today, I should say, that's going to change your life. I don't know what it is, but you're welcome. You're welcome. And if you're there in live stream land, hi, it's good to see you guys too. <laughs> oh, so continuing on. King Herod was obviously a little flustered, right? I'm controlling the land. He recently recaptured Jerusalem at one point in time. I can't remember who was in charge of it. He had good ties in with Mark Antony and the Roman Empire. Um, they were going to give him Judea as long as he could recapture it. He did. And so he hears about another king. Obviously, he's a little perturbed. Who's this individual that's going to come in and take my throne? You know how hard I had to work for this? You know, coming back from my dad and establishing relationships with the Roman Empire down to now. He's going to do anything to preserve his power, right? So when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet's written. Next slide. It says, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found them from the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and they had seen uh, when it rose, went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. And so we'll stop there. Um, you can go to the next slide as also. So, kind of, again, we're talking about this kingdom of outsiders. Who are the people that come to worship the king? It's three wise men from the east. This is a Jewish Messiah. They have the patriarchs, the prophecies, the lineage. They are God's people. But the three individuals who knew about this new king and new kingdom are from somewhere far off in a distant land. Let's go next slide. Actually, I'm sure you can get there. I'm sorry. Go back. We're going to figure this out. <laughs> and then this isn't mentioned in, uh, you know, this is in Luke's, in Luke's story of um, the birth of Jesus. But you have three shepherds. The only Israelites that came to the birth of Jesus were three people who were literally forced by an angel to go do it. <laughs> they missed it. God is doing something new. When God is with us, it defies logic and reason. It doesn't make sense. It's easy for the establishment. It's easy when you kind of have your way of doing things and the way you feel like God should do things in your life and the way Christianity should work and this is what everything should be done. When you start having these kind of pathways and systems that you set up in your mind and your life, you have to be careful because God does the way that God works. It's an adventure. The way that God works, it's a surprise. The way that God works, you're not going to figure it out. They followed a star. Three wise men followed a star. If you told people that you're going to go travel X amount of miles to this random place because the star, it's, I think it's kingly and we're going to find this king and worship him, what would, might be some of the responses? You're crazy. I'm going to go take off work to go, so I'll, I'll be back in about a month. <laughs> the three shepherds, they had no intention of being there. Again, God brought in literally random people that were Israelites to worship him. Next slide. Escape to Egypt. I won't go into this too much, but just to note that, again, it's Joseph having more dreams. Joseph had a dream to go to Egypt. Joseph had a dream to come back to Egypt. 
okay, don't stay in this area, stay in this area, because they're still kind of residual from Herod's rule. Even though Herod's dead, they still might kill you. So stay in Galilee. He's following God. He's following this, this kind of kingdom-led mindset through situations that most people wouldn't listen to. Have you ever had a spiritual dream? I think some of us have, right? And it's interesting. He was basing life decisions, like serious life decisions with my family off of dreams. It wasn't from the Torah. It wasn't from a prophet. He literally just felt like God said, go do something. He's like, all right, well, okay, so here we go. <laughs> Pack up your bags. We're going to Egypt. Pack up your bags. We're going to live in Galilee. Uh, he might not want to live in Galilee. I mean, if you guys know much about Nazareth, but let's continue on. Let's go next one. And we can stop right there. It says, okay, yeah, that's fine. It says uh, at the very end, it says, but when he heard that uh, Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, another dream, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be a Nazarene. Can go next slide. So Naz Nazareth is about like 80 miles uh, north of Judea. So it's not exactly uh, a political and economic hub. You know, so not necessarily a place that you want to live. But again, you keep on seeing the way that God does things. He does things that don't make sense. He does things that you will not expect. Next slide. Here's a point. If we want to see God's work in our life, then we have to participate in God's story in our life. Herod had his own story. His story was maintain power, maintain control, maintain authority at all costs. Even if I have to kill X amount of kids ages, you know, zero to two. That's an extreme version of control. But I would be remiss to think that we don't at times exhibit that, you know, kind of measure of character in our own lives. We want to control things. We want to dictate how things that, what's going to be the result. So I got to do X, Y, and Z. Almost not fully Machiavellian but very much kind of that ambition of how we want things to be set up. Not even curious of what God wants. Asking the question, God, what do you want for my life? Well, I already know. So did Herod. <laughs> Herod was fully convinced of what he needed to do in that moment. If we want to participate in a story that God has for our life, if we want to participate in this new kingdom, that he has built, we have to figure out what that story is for us. Do you know this morning what God's story is for your life? I can tell you personally, all I know about my story is that we're supposed to be here. <laughs> That's all I know at this point. We're exactly, my wife and I are exactly where we need to be. We love this church. This church is amazing. It's been already 10 weeks, two and a half months. That's kind of fast, right? Um, a little bit. It's, it's been a blur, but an exciting one. But that's all I know about my journey. But there's a certain comfort in, in feeling like, okay, there's God's sovereign will, and there's my allowed will, and I'm starting to align in this kingdom mindset. And you start seeing blessings. You start experiencing, you know, kind of a, a certain peace. Uh, you feel like you can almost like fly above all the problems of the world. Like, you know, all these situations and stressors that will come up. There's this there's spirit of grace that you're kind of you're just almost above it because you feel God with you the whole time. It's, it's a beautiful place to be. Next slide. I think we have more slides. There it is. So last point, um, the outsider proclamation. So I won't touch on this for too long, 
But um, I'm going to read a little bit. This is John the Baptist. I think many of us know his story. It's an amazing story. He's one of those characters, kind of like a rough and tumble type guy. you got to love John the Baptist. John the Baptist makes me want to grow more chest hair. Like, I wish I could get the... Oh. I don't want more sound issues. I broke it. I swear I prayed this morning. How's this one now? Is this one, this one good? I've never been through this in my life. Am I on? No. Is this one on? Is this one on? Yeah. <laughs> Guys, I appreciate you being troopers through this whole time. Again, I swear I prayed. I don't think I have any... If I have any hidden sin, I'm going to get open after this. But we'll, we'll read through a, a little portion of, of John chapter 3. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, a voice, a voice calling of one in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all of Judea and the whole region of Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptized, and he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Talk about a kingdom outsider. John lived in the desert. Imagine living in Palm Springs before the resorts. You know what I mean? I complain if I have leftovers like the third day. You know what I mean? So it's like I ate the, the dinner once. Day one, I can do it. If there's another day of leftovers, we might have a problem. I'm sorry, babe. I love you. But he's eating locusts and honey every day. What's his clothes? Camel's hair? I mean, that doesn't feel like silk, I don't think. He spends his entire life calling people out of their sin. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. What kind of, does that message want to draw people to you? Mostly no. A few, yes. How many disciples are you going to have? A couple. What are most of the people going to think about you? Local and La Cavessa, yes. A little tad bit crazy. That was his life. This man was a kingdom outsider. He was someone that his citizenship was in heaven. He understood the upside-down nature of following God. Happy with the reproach, could care less. When he sees religious leaders of the day, it's not, oh, hi, you know, temple leader, hi, you know, scribe, Pharisee. What's the first thing he says? You brood of vipers! Who told you to come repent? You know, who told you about the coming wrath? That's the first thing out of his mouth. This man's thinking was so much about the kingdom and praying the way of God that he didn't care what anybody else thought. There's something that we can imitate in that. His boldness, his courage, like I said, you know, it, it makes my 17 chest hairs want to go to like 50. Like I want, I want to exude that type of courage, not in some kind of awkward, religious, judgmental type of way. You know, we've seen situations where people hold these crazy signs and they, and they focus 
on certain subsets of the population. That's, that's not what we're talking about. But there's situations that God is calling us to exhibit that type of boldness, that type of kingdom mindset where you're not concerned what the world's thinking about. You're concerned about preaching the gospel and preparing the way of the Lord. Next slide. Some closing thoughts. Make sure I see this right. How do I allow God, how do I allow God to be glorified through my weakness and faults? So going back to that, that first point in the lineage, are you open enough so that God can be glorified in your life? Think about that. In a, in a setting where everyone wants to put their best foot forward, I'm righteous, I'm okay, I'm fine, my life's good. Are you willing to say, you know what? This is how my week really went. This is how my marriage is really going. This is how my kids are really doing. This is how my purity really is at. And let God get the glory. Amen? Amen. Number two, do I see and participate in the story that God has for my life? Do you know what that story is? And are you actively pursuing it? But we all have one. That's the beauty of being a part of this upside-down kingdom of God. I don't know what it is for you. I can't define it. But we have to please God. Make sure that we are searching to find what that is. Because it's in that we find our true kingdom citizenship. Amen? Last one. How can I be a better, how can I better embrace John's kingdom mindset? Granted, you're not gonna, you know, say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. But what part of John's example resonates with you? Maybe you can adopt it and make it a part of your life today. Next one. So I think, you know, in, in John chapter 3, it talks about the baptism of Jesus. And we're, we're getting into communion right now, kind of switching gears. And I'll read a little bit. And the cool thing about this is you actually have a brother in the Lord that was baptized yesterday. Brooke Bellachew, are you here? Where are you at? There he is. Good stuff, brother. I'm happy you made it today. I was afraid you weren't going to make it. I don't want to talk about you today and you weren't here. I'm like, oh, God, he got baptized yesterday. But in any case, I'm going to read this real quick, and then I'm going to play a little video about uh, what happened uh, yesterday. It says in verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love, with I'm well, with I'm well pleased. In Romans 6, it mentions that we participate in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in baptism. So to highlight that fact, I want to play a video to show you, you know, really what the cross is all about. There's some wind, so I'm going to apologize in advance. Me and God ordained it before Making this plan and for me to get back to this house, risking it again. And uh, it's just incredible how he works in our life. Uh, and honestly, I don't deserve it. I'm just too grateful. Uh, I learned so much from them. Humble enough, you know, to teach me the ways because. I had my own views too, and they were like humble enough to guide me to the truth. And um, my heart is full. It's a good confession. Jesus is good. <laughs> <laughs> so, because of your responses, we can now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
of Christ and your name will be written in the book of life. On that note, let's pray for communion. Father God, we thank you so much, God, that you're loving, gracious, merciful, patient, all everything type of God. To be able to stand in a state of grace, God, to wake up and walk with you, it, it is an honor. We thank you so much for times like this, God, we're able to reflect on what you've done for us. Your son paid the ultimate sacrifice, God, you, you're a perfect example of love. I struggle with the notion of, of, you know, giving up my own son for really anything. Um, but let alone in such a horrific and challenging way. Help us, God, to, to appreciate and to be in touch with our sin in light of the cross. And that, that motivates us, Father, to give us just a, a work ethic beyond measure, our labor prompted by love, as it were, Father. Thank you so much for moments like Brooks. Uh, we definitely pray, God, for, for your working. It's exciting to see all the things that you're doing in South Bay as we speak. Pray for all the health concerns, God, and that we know who those people are, that you work powerfully in their lives, God, whether it's healing there's peace, comfort, joy, whatever they need, God, that they know that you are with them. As, as we start this uh, lesson series, let us remember that God is always with us. We love you, God, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.